At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 373rd episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. I have said it many times, I am a lifelong learner, and I am excited to let you know about a unique global online event made just for those of us who want to grow our own food. In this four-day online learning opportunity, a collection of visionary growers, gardeners, permaculturists, and homesteaders share garden hacks, slow tools, gadgets, and gardening technologies. Join tens of thousands of budding growers and learn how to save time, energy, and money while doing what you love most, growing your own food and medicine. Visit urbanfarm.org forward slash garden hacked to register for this free online summit. Today on our podcast, we have someone who sought out answers about food labeling. We're talking with Obe Giroux about her documentary, Modified. Obe is an award-winning documentary filmmaker, organic gardener, and food blogger. She is the creator of Kitchen Vignettes, an online farm-to-table cooking show on PBS, which received the 2012 Savour Magazine Best Food Blog Award and is a two-time James Beard Award nominee. Congratulations on that. Obe holds an MFA in film production from York University. Modified is her first feature-length documentary, which she wrote, directed, and produced. In Modified, the filmmaker and her mother embark on a personal and poignant investigative journey to find out why genetically modified organisms are not labeled on food products in the United States and Canada, despite being labeled in 64 countries around the world. Welcome to the show today, Obe. Are you ready to rock food labeling? Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Excellent. Yes. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Sure. Well, a little bit about me. I'm French-Canadian and I grew up in Nova Scotia, which is the easternmost province of Canada. And I had the great fortune of growing up with a mom who loved food. We're, I come from a family of food lovers and she was a huge gardener. And so she grew a lot of the food that we ate when I was growing up. So I really grew up with this intimate connection with the food I was eating and a real understanding and appreciation of how it was produced and what it took to grow it and how it got to our dinner plate. And food and gardening have always been a huge passion of mine. And then sometime around my mid to late 20s, I lived in Europe for two years. And in Europe, genetically modified organisms that are in food products have to be labeled. So when I came back to North America, I was really bothered that here in, you know, in the United States and in Canada, that we don't have labeling of GMOs. And GMOs had really become a real passion of my mom. She was doing a lot of research about them. She was buying every book she could 
fine on the topic and then, of course, sending them to me, which <laughs> I didn't always want them at the time. But once I started looking into it myself, I also got very interested in the issue of genetically engineering our seeds and our crops and our food. And so that's how this whole film kind of started. The film that we're going to talk about today, my film Modified, really started from this very basic question of why don't we have GMOs labeled here in North America? Wow. And that was a long, incredible journey, I'm sure. It really was. It took me 10 years to complete the film. Wow. I can definitely say it's by far the most difficult project I've ever taken on. It was quite a mammoth task. And because it was self-produced and I didn't have any funding, actually. And that's part of the reason why it took so long to make is that I had to learn how to wear many different hats and how to do a lot of different things along the way. Cool. And so the movie's been released. The movie was released um, this past fall in September. And we've been touring international film festivals. It's already received six awards, which is very exciting and wonderful. And now we're just kind of heading into our theatrical release, which is coming up this fall, starting in September. It will be released in, you know, indie cinemas. It's not going to be uh, probably at your local <laughs> blockbuster cinema, but we're planning on showing it in indie cinemas all across the United States starting in September. Excellent. So it's been out a year. It's been out, yeah, just a little under a year. Wow. So what is the focus of the movie and why is it different from other movies? The focus of my film, I would say, is really around this issue of the right to know what's in our food, the right to know how our food is produced. And even though it is a film that is, I would say, somewhat critical of GMOs, the way that this technology is currently being used in our food, namely, like, one of the main ways is to engineer crops so that they can resist herbicides. That's about 85% of GMOs that are the main reason why they're, they've been modified. But really what the film is about is this issue of transparency and that when we use new technologies, it's not necessarily to say that, you know, this technology is evil, but it's more just to say that people do have a right to know when we're using new technologies, when we're producing our food in new ways, and that everyone has the right to make their own choice. And very much, you know, the film is anchored. It's a very personal film. The film is anchored in my mom's garden and in my mom and I's relationship. And my mom was very concerned about this issue of who controls food, you know, because most of the GMOs that are on the market today have been patented by large corporations. And when farmers grow GMOs, they have to sign technology license agreements. And that really puts power and control of seeds and of our food supply, you know, with corporations. And my mom was a seed saver, and I've actually inherited a lot of her seeds. Nice. And I still grow them in my own garden. Yeah. But she really believed that people had a right to grow their own seeds and that living organisms should not be patented, and especially not by large corporations. Yeah. Amen to that, for sure. So you've mentioned her a couple of times as if she's not here any longer. Did she pass on? She did pass on, and sadly she passed on while I was working on the film. So, you know, that's also a reason why it took me so long to make the film is because, you know, I really took a year away from the film after she died mm -hmm. to kind of grieve and regroup. I kind of gave up on the film, actually, because, you know, I say this in the film, but I had always felt that it was kind of our film, that even though, you know, it was my film, I was writing it and directing it, but my mom was always kind of a little bit involved in the background. She was always, you know, cutting out articles, and if she 
heard some interview on the radio about GMOs, you know, she'd recorded and sent mm-hmm. it to me. We were always talking about food anyway. We were always talking about right. what we were going to eat, <laughs> about new recipes, but we were also always talking about GMOs. And she actually passed away from cancer, mm. from a brain tumor. It all happened very fast, but that is also very much part of the story of the yeah. film, is my journey with her as we tried to find answers to some of our questions around GMOs. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry to hear about your mom. Yeah, thank you. I affectionately call my mom my clipping service. She's always doing the same thing for me. So discovering along the way why things aren't labeled here in the U.S. and in Canada was your process. What did you find? You know, what I found was that the agribusiness industry in North America, all over the world, but I think especially in North America, we see how much power they have over our democratic processes, over our elected representatives, over our regulatory agencies. You know, ever since GMOs were introduced in the mid to late 90s, there hasn't been a change in terms of Americans and Canadians' desire to see them labeled. There's been a ton of polling done ever since when GMOs were introduced for the last 20 years. And all those polls show that over 80% of Americans and Canadians want GMOs labeled. And there have been many instances of attempting to pass GMO labeling laws mm-hmm. in Canada at the federal level and in the U.S., most at the state level. And we've seen those efforts and those attempts at passing real GMO labeling laws constantly shut down and overturned by the agribusiness lobby and the power that they exert over our institutions and our government. Yeah, that was a really alarming and disturbing thing to find out. I mean, if you look in the U.S., there's been, I believe it's over $200 million that have been spent by big food and agribusiness just to fight against GMO labeling initiatives, mostly at the state level. Wow. You know, just to make sure that we don't have GMOs labeled. That's a lot of money to spend just to, you know, take away that very basic right of knowing how our food is produced. And so for me, that was really the focus of the film because I felt like it says a lot about the world we live in at the moment. And it says a lot about the kind of regulatory capture and the power that corporations have versus the citizen voice. Mm -hmm. Like, I think we will have GMOs will be labeled. And I think that we can, you know, I'm not pessimistic, I'm optimistic, but I think that it's important to kind of know what we're up against and see what the kind of power and control that we're up against. Yeah. It seems to be magnified these days. Yes, certainly. It's an issue that doesn't just apply to GMOs. It applies to so many different aspects of our world, this issue of corporate control over our government. I think it's something that has to change if we're going to make improvements in all aspects, you know, whether it's our environment, whether it's human rights, something that we need to look at and kind of take our power back, really. And at the moment in the U.S., the USDA just very recently just released its new proposed national GMO labeling law, because just to backtrack a little bit, just to back up, what happened over the last six years or so is that individual states started passing GMO labeling laws. So California tried, unfortunately it failed, I believe Vermont essentially. There were about four or five states that passed GMO labeling laws, but Vermont was the first state that actually implemented the law. Right. And that happened in July 2016. That's very much a part of my film story as well. And it, it succeeded in passing a law that actually forced a lot of companies to change their labels and to disclose when they were using GMOs. But what happened was that one week after Vermont implemented a federal bill, which was called the DARC Act, a lot of listeners may be 
who's familiar with might remember back in 2016 hearing about the Dark Act, which was basically a federal law to overturn and to preempt states from passing their own GMO labeling laws. Oh, yeah. A week after Vermont implemented its law, it was overturned by this federal law. And so just recently, the USDA released the proposed guidelines for that law. And what we see is that, you know, it's not really a real GMO labeling law for many different reasons, which I can go into in more detail. It's really kind of a joke of a law. So it's still, you know, even today, we still don't have proper GMO labels, and it's still a fight that continues. And I don't necessarily think that GMO labeling is the be-all and end-all. I think there are many other, even probably more urgent problems to talk about at the moment in our world. And GMOs are just one part of a bigger puzzle, the kind of path that industrial agriculture is leading us down. You know, we see the decline mm-hmm. of our pollinators, of our butterflies, of our bees. We see dead zones in our oceans from fertilizer runoff. We see a huge impact on climate change from industrialized agriculture. And so GMOs are just a part of that puzzle. But I think what's interesting about GMO labeling is that it's such a no-brainer. You know, even people who are in favor of GMOs, you know, because GMOs are such a controversial issue. Right. There are many different opinions about them. But GMO labeling itself is not really that controversial. Even people who are very much in favor of GMOs will often say, many of the people that I spoke to would say, well, yeah, I think they should be labeled. We do have a right to know what's in our food. And really, that's what it boils down to with labeling is it's about our right to know. Exactly. So what do you think is the most compelling piece of your modified movie? Well, you know, it's been amazing showing it to audiences, you know, after so many years of working so hard to finish it. And the number one thing that people come up to me after screenings and say is that they were very moved by my mom's presence in the film. And people really say, you know, your mom is the heart of this film. And thank you so much for sharing her with us and sharing her spirit. Nice. Her life values. And that's very emotional and touching for me to hear. And I hear it almost at every screening. And it's been so special. And it was actually a really difficult choice to make a personal film. I didn't really necessarily set off to make such a personal film. But through the long process of creating it and working with the footage I had and working with different editors and my co-producer and everyone was encouraging me to be more present in the film and to bring my mom's story out more in the film and you know I didn't want to show her sometimes when she was sick I didn't want to show myself sometimes or you know I hate my voice so it's like oh I don't want to narrate this film you know I had a lot of resistance around me putting myself out there and putting my mom out there but in the end I think it is what people connect with the most in the film and I think it brings people into the story of the film. I began watching it. I've watched the first 15 minutes or so and one of the striking things was your narration. It was very sweet and very personal and it sounds to me like that was a process for you. Yeah, it really was. I went through so many drafts of the narration, you know, writing things out over and over again, recording, trying different things. And in the end, I think what I found was that, you know, less is more. Like the more you pare it down and the more simple you keep the narration the more the story comes through actually mm-hmm. and the more people can come to their own can have their own relationship with the story in the film yeah so i'm curious about something have you experienced or gotten any negative backlash or negative anything about this since it's been released you know i really haven't 
which I feel very grateful for. It's something that I expect will probably happen eventually. And it's something that I was pretty fearful of actually putting the film out there and putting myself out there and having it be such a personal film. I think that there is a huge attack on anyone who criticizes GMOs in any way. Right. That's happening at the moment. It's extremely upsetting and concerning to see those attacks. I mean, often they're very personal and vicious attacks. You know, sometimes they're attacks on people who aren't even against GMOs, but they are criticizing one aspect of GMOs and they still get, you know, very viciously attacked. Mm -hmm. I feel like we live in a climate right now where I think big food and big agribusiness is really scared because people are becoming more and more aware of how their food is being grown. People are buying organic more and more organic sales go up and up and up every year. There's a bigger and bigger demand for organics, which means that farmers are encouraged to grow organic. You know, the more you buy it, the more farmers will want to grow it because ultimately farmers want to grow the food that people want to eat. I think, you know, it has the pesticide industry running scared. Like they are trying very, very hard to fight against that and to discredit any criticism of pesticides, of industrial agriculture, of that whole model of producing our food. And and it can be very insidious and very nasty. You know, I've had some trolls on my Facebook page mm -hmm. or on Twitter, but so far it's been very minimal and I'm really grateful for that. And I mean, in some ways, you know, my film isn't necessarily bashing GMOs or any one company over the head. It's more just making the point that we need transparency. That's what people want. People want to know how their food is produced. And, you know, citizens need to be in power, need to be the ones that are deciding what our food policies are going to be and what is going to end up on our dinner plate and having the choice to make those decisions. Amen to that. So tell us a little bit about Kitchen Vignettes. This sounds very exciting. It's a project that's been going on for quite a few years. Yes, I believe it was in 2011 I started my food blog and I really just started it initially as kind of a fun project. I had already started working on Modified on the GMO film, but I love food and I love cooking and I love gardening. I love growing my own food. And one of the biggest pleasures that I get in my life is growing something picking it, harvesting it, pulling it out of the ground, taking it into my kitchen and making something from it and then eating it, hopefully with friends or with loved ones. Amen to that. That's one of the things I love. Yeah. And so the blog really was an attempt to celebrate that through these little videos. They're about two, two and a half minutes long. And they're basically they're farm to table videos. You see the ingredient being harvested and then you see it being turned into a recipe. And about two years into doing that, I was approached by PBS food to start doing it, you know, for their website. Uh -huh. And so now I've been video blogging for PBS food for about four or five years now. It's a real delight. It's a real labor of love to share. You know, they're just very fun little videos. There's no talking in them. Although actually I'm starting a new version of the series this year where each episode is going to feature a different gardener or farmer. Ooh. So there's going to be a little bit of talking. I'm going to go in depth a little more into, you know, how the food was produced and how the recipe is made. All the existing ones for the last five years are just like little music videos almost. They're just like a recipe and harvesting set to music and they're just a little celebration of garden to table cool i'm sitting over here raising my hand saying "Ooh, pick me pick me i want to be one of your farmers <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I don't have much of a travel budget, so I have to fit in my shoots whenever I'm, you know, traveling for something else anyway. But who knows? It's in Phoenix where you are? Yeah, we're in Phoenix. Phoenix, yes. Well, I hope to show Modified in Phoenix at some point. I know you guys are going to be showing it at the Heat Up, and then I also hope to have some theatrical screenings um, in the area as well. Perfect. Let's talk about that. Screenings. You've got a lot coming up. Yeah, we've got a lot going on right now. It's been a lot of film festivals. We've got a bunch of film festivals happening this summer and right into the fall. And then in the fall, we're releasing a film theatrically across the U.S. So look out for it in a cinema near you. And also part of what we're doing is we're offering the films for communities or organizations that want to host a public screening of the film. And so people can fill out our online screening request form that's on our website, which is modifiedthefilm.com and basically request to host public screening of the film because the film right now is only available for public showings whether it's festivals, theaters, cinemas and community screenings. It will be available on DVD and for online streaming as of January 2019 is the plan. But until then, we're just hoping to have as many screenings as possible all across the U.S. Beautiful. And Canada as well. I was going to say in Canada for sure. So for those of you that are in Phoenix, go to greatamericanseedup.org. We're going to be showing that on September 21st, I believe, that Friday evening of the Great American Seed Up. So you can get your tickets for the Great American Seed Up and come and scoop seeds and see the great movie. So I'm going to shift on you and I would like you to talk about a time you failed how you overcame that failure and what you might have learned from it. Yeah, that is a tricky question. Well, I've definitely had a lot of failures over my life. I'll talk about one that relates to the film, which is just how hard it was to get funding for the film. And so I received a lot of rejection letters and I've become very comfortable with rejection letters. (laughs) Right. It was very hard to get funding for the film. And so the way I overcame that was to use this wonderful tool that we have in today's world, which many people are familiar with, which is crowdsourcing, crowdfunding. Mm-hmm. And so I did an Indiegogo campaign. And it actually ended up being such a great way to raise funds because it connected me with all these people and with a community of people who were so supportive of the film, which really encouraged me to finish the film and you know, to work harder to make it a good film. And just having that community was an amazing experience. I was able to raise, I believe it was around $40,000, which was half of my post-production budget, which was a huge help. I think with failure, you know, the important thing with failure is to not see it as that you yourself are the failure and to kind of like disconnect it from yourself that, okay, this is something that didn't work out, but it doesn't mean that I'm a failure. And it just means like, keep going, try something different, try something new and see how that works for you. And oftentimes it opens up new possibilities. Perfect. So I just hopped on to Indiegogo and it looks like you have a campaign still running. I am always looking for contributions still because it's actually still paying off the cost of making the film. Yeah. Distributing the film is also very expensive. Mm-hmm. We do have a section on our website where people can make a contribution to the film if they wish, and that is on modifiedthefilm.com. Excellent. Thank you for that. So what do you consider your biggest success? I mean, I'm not sure about success because success is such a tricky thing to measure, but I would say that this film is my biggest achievement, I would call it maybe, as opposed to a success we'll see over time, but definitely it's my biggest achievement. It took me 10 years to make. I had to overcome a huge amount of personal, logistical, financial, creative challenges. Mm -hmm. 
to get it to the finish line, and I did it. I am very proud of myself for that. So I can say that's the hardest thing I've ever done, but it's my biggest achievement. Congratulations. That's awesome. So what drives you? I was really raised with this concept of leave the world better than you found it. It was a big philosophy of my mom. As we all know right now, the world is a pretty messed up place. I think there's so many areas to focus on and to work on. And I feel very motivated to always be looking for ways to make our world a safer and a better and a more joyful place to be in. And so I would say that that philosophy of leave the world better than you found it is what drives me the most. Yeah. One of my big drivers. And the reason I asked this question is because most of what I do isn't for me and I don't have children. So it's for the younger people of the world, you know, the kids of the world to leave it a better place. So I understand that completely. Yeah, exactly. So if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? Yeah, again, that is such a hard question because there are so many amazing books out there. And I'll recommend one that relates to GMOs and the topic of my film, which was a book that really helped me so much in my research and to better understand all the different issues around GMOs. And that book is called Altered Genes, Twisted Truth, Mm -hmm. and it's by Stephen Drucker. And it's an excellent book for anyone who wants to really go more in depth and understand GMOs a little bit better. Yeah, I started reading books about GMOs in the early, I guess we're calling them the aughts. So like 2000, 2001, that's when they really came into, you know, the public view. And that's one of them that I picked up. Got another one? Yeah, another book about GMOs that is in some ways has parallels to my film because it's told in a very personal voice. It's a first person story. Is And actually it has the same title as my film, which is really funny. I actually contacted the author when we were, you know, finalizing our title because I had done a Google search and realized, oh my gosh, somebody's already using that title for a book that just came out. And so I got in touch with her and we had a little discussion and back and forth. And then we decided, okay, it's fine. Like her book is, and and my film are going to have the same title. We're both fine with it and we're going to go with that. So her book is called Modified. So her name is Caitlin Shetterly and she's the author of the book Modified, which I highly, highly recommend. It's a beautifully told story, really told in the first person about her own personal health struggles, those of her family, and kind of this track across the country and this investigative journey that she went on. And it's a really compelling book to read. Excellent. Thank you for that. What one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Again, I'm going to turn to the wisdom of my mom for that. And really, it's actually how my film ends is this quote from her, which is that she believed that with every bite we eat and every food item we choose to buy, we're actually making a choice about what kind of world we want to live in. Do we want to live in a world that is sprayed with pesticides where bees are dying and you know our oceans have bigger and bigger dead zones every year? Or do we want to live in a world where agriculture is sustainable and where more small farmers can make a decent living and we can have sustainable family farms come back to our rural communities? That's definitely the world I want to live yeah. in. So I think my biggest advice is vote with your fork. And importantly, enjoy your food because we always, I think when we take pleasure in eating and enjoy our food, it also makes us more curious about how it was grown and it makes us want to be proud of the food choices that we make, whether we grow it ourselves or whether we go to our local farmer's market or, you know, support our local agricultural communities. I think voting with our fork is a very powerful form of activism that we can all do because we all eat, we all make food choices. I would say that's my biggest piece of advice. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, I hope. 
Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. So how can our listeners get a hold of you, find out more, host a screening? Yes, people can go to our website, modifythefilm.com. There is a host a screening page on our website where they can fill out the form and request to host a screening in their community. We're also on social media. We're Modified the Film on Facebook. I'm Kitchen Vignettes on Instagram. I chose not to do a specific Modified the Film Instagram page because I already have my food blog page. So I kind of just put everything there on that Instagram account. But that is at Kitchen Vignettes. And on Twitter, I'm at Aubergine Blog. But yeah, the website is kind of the hub of where people can find everything and also get access to all the recipes that are in the film because that's one of the top questions I get also after film screenings is how can we get the recipes that are in the film and they're all there on the website modifythefilm.com. Beautiful. You can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash modified. We are your urban farming resource. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio and more. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, podcasts, webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. I have said it many times, I am a lifelong learner, and I'm excited to let you know about a unique global online event made just for those of us who want to grow our own food. In this four-day online learning opportunity, a collection of visionary growers, gardeners, permaculturists, and homesteaders share garden hacks, slow tools, gadgets, and gardening technologies. Join tens of thousands of budding growers and learn how to save time, energy, and money while doing what you love most, growing your own food and medicine. Visit urbanfarm.org forward slash garden hacks to register for this free online summit. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.